When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. Touchdown. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. Yes. It's all the unprecedented. United Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I'm here um, this week with a very special COVID-19 edition. Um, I welcome Nigel Phillips to the pod. Nigel, um, hello uh, and welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, Pete. Yes, and so Nigel Phillips um, from the Arsenal Supporters Trust, one of the, the founder members when we, we put the trust together in, in early 2003. Uh, first game at Arsenal was 1974, a Leicester game in, in December. So um, it's been, been a big part of my life. Um, brilliant to have you on. Um, the, I think last week on the show, I was with uh, Alex and we work in the communications industry and we were trying to uh, unpack some of the difficult questions that football's facing at the moment. Um and it, we thought it'd be best to get uh, somebody with a, much more of an expertise in finance. Do you want to explain uh, like some of your role, you know, what the some of the bits of work that you've been doing for the AST over the last uh, number of years? Well, when when the the AST was was formed, the, the club had a very different ownership structure. We had four four major owners, no no controlling member, and there was a good spread of, of shares with small shareholders. So very much it was about governance and holding the board to account. There was a very public annual general meeting. I was the, the first person at the trust to, to really take an interest in the finances. And for a long period of time, before it became very popular, the trust was issuing 
its views on on the finances. That was baton was taken up by Simon Hill particularly well. And as people will be aware, um, Swiss Ramble does an excellent job on it now. And it's became a, a lot more mainstream. So I would say that the Supporters Trust was certainly at the forefront of uh, really getting inside um, the, the club to, to try and understand what the finances meant for everyone. Yeah, I think the, the, the work that you that you guys did at the, the AST was responsible for um, Arsenal fans being some of the most balanced sheet informed fans on the planet. Um Back in the day, when uh, the most exciting thing that was happening at our club was uh, was when those annual financial reports came out, we were highly profitable. And and it's also important because for a long time the club has been is working to the self sustaining model, and that hasn't changed with with the new owner. If anything, you know, with with the new ownership of of Cromley, it's it's not been about self-sustaining you know the club the club did make two payments to to Cronky for advisory services and it was partially the work done by the supporters trust which brought those very much out into the open which meant that those payments stopped after after a couple of years so getting inside them we still we still can see the figures but come out much later now because essentially it's a privately owned company um totally within the KSE remit so um Today, we wanted to caveat our, our conversation before we get into it. Um, we're going to discuss um, what football business looks like uh, in, in a COVID-19 world. And we're going to touch across um, like a few areas. We're going to talk about how this impacts the clubs, how it impacts the players, the fans, uh, and the TV deal. But we did want to caveat before we get into it. We understand that this is a, a, you know, a global pandemic we know that football is incredibly trivial in a in a time like this, but we're interested in football. It plays a big part in our lives, so we just want to discuss um, how the, the the landscape is is shifting and you know what it means to the future of the game when things do come back on board. I t- totally agree, Pete. And when you say that the landscape is, is shifting, I mean you're you're in one country, I'm in another. We talk to people, we know people in in many many countries, and and everyone's under the same sort of um, situation at the moment, and and it is deeply concerning. But I mean, going going back to what we're going to talk about, there are some 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 shifting sands here, which means that when we do come out of it people's views will will be different and activities will be different and and hopefully we can find some some glimmers of of hope through this these very dark times yes i totally agree so on 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 that note i think the the best place to start would be the clubs um today um lionel messi has come out and said that the barcelona players are taking a 70 percent pay cut Uh, one of their stipulations is that um, the working staff that uh, aren't football related uh, are looked after. Juventus are uh, looking to shave 90 million um, from uh, player salaries and they've come to an agreement. And the Bayern, uh, Bayern Munich are also uh, uh, looking at doing similar things. So the first question that I wanted to ask you was, um, like, what do you think the biggest concern of um, Vinay and Raul will be at the moment? Well, the wage, the wage bill. I mean, the club have got um, 725 full-time staff. Um, 73 of those are, are players, um, but 440 staff in commercial and admin. So the wage bill runs at close to £20 million a month. 
Um, fortunately, the club are in a in a strong cash position, so they shouldn't have short-term considerations around that. But at the moment, there will be no money coming in. There's obviously a game of seats. Um, the big issue around the completion of the season is, is what happens to the, the final 25% of the broadcast revenue, which is due to the clubs. That's uh, For Arsenal, that's sort of £45 million. Pounds. And and also be seen to be doing the right thing. So that's on the on the big on the bigger picture. On the on the smaller picture, there's there's plenty of outreach and help that they can do, and they are doing in the community as well. So I think it's trying to balance the the absolute finances of the club with being seen to be being seen and actually being a, a good community citizen, which um, which there are many gestures going on at the moment. We've seen the 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 efforts that some of the overseas clubs have made regarding their player salaries. Um, we, we've heard no gestures from the Premier League players as such so far. We've seen some clubs go to their players and seek wage deferrals. We've seen Forest Green Rovers put all their players on on the uh, the job reten- retention scheme. They're fur- furloughed all their all their staff. Um, it means they don't have to make them redundant. So quite a juggling act for for him and the team at the moment, Pete. What, what sort of levers do you think the the club have at their um, at their hands at the moment? Is it, like, can you can you just defer salaries, or does that have to go through like the PFA? Like what, what sort of what sort of tricks um, do you think VNI will be looking to to pull, or not tricks, or just survival mechanisms? I think they are survival mechanisms, and and um, don't forget that the, the Premier League isn't a, a, a corporate body as such. I mean, yes, it's got shareholders, but the shareholders are the clubs. So I'm waiting to see where anyone's going to break ranks and do their do their emergency measures first of all, or or it's going to come collectively and say this is what we are doing to to protect. Um, I mean, some 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 of these clubs are running on a on a very cash flow type basis, um, so it won't be able to to go three months without any any revenues. Obviously, there's there's min, minimal revenue coming in during the the non playing season anyway, but we've still got we've still got two months to go to complete that. So, in terms of levers, I mean, the, some of the players are going to have to take take a lead on this and and we are seeing this in continental europe at the moment so it can only be be so long before we see this sort of message the biggest leader i see at the moment who's who's happy to be a, a spokesperson in the in the, uh, the overall situation is is jürgen klopp and and every time he speaks he seems to come out with with put things in the right perspective and and relative sense and and I think clubs need leaders like that. And at the moment, we aren't many clubs who are speaking up on these things. I mean, the the, the Harry Kane thing is just just hilarious that he, he's talking about his career and winning things in a, in a podcast with was it Jamie Redknapp? Jamie Redknapp, yeah. You think, come on, come on, Harry. We don't need to be putting that one out there at the moment. Do you, do you think there's any particular reason why the Premier League seems to be? far behind its European counterparts on having some sort of reaction at the moment? Uh, I think possibly the size of the um, 
the TV contract gives a, a little bit of, of insulation to that. Um, but, but also, I think they're absolutely in hock to the television companies, so need to make sure that no one breaks ranks to, to put in jeopardy the, the 800 million which the Cubs are due at the moment. Um, yeah, the, the, the Premier League, is it the most mercenary of all leagues? We're not going to see the the sort of gesture that the four Champions League teams in Germany, the solidarity they've shown towards teams in Bundesliga two and, and below. I mean, it would be marvellous to think that were the case, but can you imagine all four of the okay, the English participants in the Champions League offering that when people have got stadiums to pay and everything else? Um, but why we let... Why we're lacking that leadership and um, and, and thought process? I don't know, Pete. One of the um, one of the things that a lot of Arsenal fans have been looking at prior to uh, you know this this global meltdown was some of the problems that the that the KSC have been having uh, in LA with their um, with their stadium concerns. Um, do do you think? Uh, do you think that the Cronkies will be looking at these problems as a whole or at an individual level? Like, is there a, is there a chance that those issues in America could impact Stan's ability to hold on to Arsenal Football Club, or is that pie in the sky thinking? Well, in, interestingly, when when he finally did the buyout in um, in August two so the the purchase for the shares he didn't own was five hundred and fifty million pounds, of which about five hundred went to to Usmanov. He put he put a very small amount of cash into that. He borrowed from Deutsche Bank five hundred and five million pounds over a two year period. So that runs from August eighteen to August twenty twenty. It's guaranteed by Mrs. Cronkey. So the bank's absolutely fine. They're not going to lose money. But the debt serviceability of that is, um, I mean, it's not on Arsenal. I mean, it's secured by the shares in Arsenal, but Arsenal are not paying that. And we haven't seen any evidence of that so far. But, I mean, you're, you're closer to what's going on in the States. There, absolutely, this this will be an issue. And, and if you think of where the bulk of the family revenue comes from, from the, the shopping malls, from that sort of, Walmart-dominated concept, none of that's coming in at the moment. Landlords are all having to take deferrals and haircuts themselves. So, you know, I don't think the whole thing's going to come crashing down, but um, it's it's going to be um, a serious concern for them, for sure. Yeah, one of the um, what, what, one of the, the things that UEFA have said is that they're going to relax the rules on uh, on FFP. Um, it, is is that saying basically saying that if billionaires want to prop up their football clubs at the moment by pumping money in, they're allowed to. Won't be won't be a concern for us, Pete, because there won't be any money coming in. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's. No, a, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being flippant there, but I mean, there's no way that I mean, some people seem to think around the Pepe transfer that Cronky put some money in. I mean, that's just just farcical. It's absolutely not going to happen. Do, I'll, I'll, do we think it's unfair that other people are able to prop out? They're, they're doing that to make sure a major club doesn't fail. 
Um, we are stuck with this self-sustaining model with this current ownership. So we'll we'll just have to get and get and get on with it. The the whole Man City situation with their owners has been been shown to be absolutely what it is. But then it makes you wonder why people like Paris Saint Germain haven't been caught up with it, or maybe it's the Qatari influence at UEFA. I don't know. So just, uh, just one more um, question that I wanted to ponder about clubs um, f- before um, before we move on to like the broader Premier League. Um, sponsorship uh, pays to be on the front of the shirts throughout the whole season and not many people are talking about the sponsorship worries at the moment. Do you think that there, um, there will be questions had by brands like the Emirates about the, the season finishing early? Do you think that there's a possibility that they will look for rebates on, uh, on, on, you know, basically a media buy. This, this is exactly Pete, why no decision has been taken around the completion of the season so far. So we've seen, you know, the the football association almost unilaterally say that semi-pro football from step three down will be um, will be null and void. But to take that type of decision at the at the higher levels is the, the ramifications and potential legal challenge is, is is immense. The individual relationships with those commercial sponsors, whether they be, be shirt sponsors or kit manufacturers, um, co- collectively that doesn't get close to where the t- television money is. But the the issues will be the same for sure. If you're not wearing the shirt and demonstrating it and putting it on TV, then what are, what are sponsors paid for? Um, but that will be down on a, on an individual sponsor-by-sponsor sponsor basis. I, I think the whole thing is all lumped into the same basket with the with the broadcast revenues, which is the, the number one dominating factor at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, so on, on, on that point, let's, let's get into a bit of a discussion now. So the, um, the the Premier League is obviously desperate to make sure that they don't lose seven hundred fifty million pounds worth of revenue. Um, but there's a, there's there's a we've got to get it done mindset um, because we we want to get paid out and secure our future. And then there's the the, the cultural reality that um, behaviour is often determined by you know what people see from famous folk and when you're trying to create a, a lockdown scenario and you have Premier League games playing, that isn't exactly going to encourage people to socially distance. So with, with that in mind, what, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, there's the void the league and start next season on time. Uh, there's play out the games when the coast is clear. Or there's this bizarre um, notion that's uh, or idea or concept that's being pushed at the moment that we'd create isolation hotels in the Midlands and play out the games. What do you think? What's your what, like, how, how do you see this panning out? I think they're doing absolutely everything they can to play out the season. Um, I think the null and void. If we're still in this lockdown in six months' time. Then maybe that's that's what will happen. There is flexibility around the the Euro, the Euros, which at the moment are June twenty one to July twenty one, and that could easily be slipped a couple more months, meaning that you could we've got another 10, 10 matches in the Prem or 
four clubs, including Arsenal, have got 11 to play. Does it matter when it's finished? Could it be the end of September and then have a four-week break and then come back? Maybe you get rid of the domestic cup competitions for a season to, to give up those. You, don't, you have to play international friendlies. I think they're looking at absolutely every way they can be to, to get the season completed, whether it be in the summer, in September, wherever. And don't forget that the, the Qatari World Cup doesn't start until November 22. So we've got a, a messed up domestic season there anyway. So with a little bit of creativity and, and stretched out timelines, you, you could find a way to do it. And I still think that absolutely is a number one priority to to maintain the integrity of it and, and, and get, get the season completed. Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you. I, I don't see how they can void the season. If, if, if there are so many complications that go up and down the league and throughout Europe, um, so, uh, uh, but the the idea of playing a, a Midlands World Cup tournament, though though it does feel that does sound very appealing, it also runs you into a, a lot of complications. Like just as a, a you know rough back of the fag packet calculation, um, there's there's got to be fifty match day staff associated with every game. Now that's a, a thousand people mingling across a month. Do you think that there's um? Do you think there's a, a a chance that they could bring back football for June? Do you think that's too early? I think there's no appetite to be taking people away from the frontline services and and encouraging any sort of social gathering whilst we're still in, in any form of lockdown. The, the media over here at the weekend were talking about this going on until June and then it's not all on and all off. It will be a very... You know, a gentle gradual off. So, so June to me still feels like quite early. What it doesn't stop you doing, of course, is if players need a four-week pre-season to complete the season, you could potentially be doing that as the lockdown is eased off. Um, games behind closed doors is not, it's not televisually appealing, um, but it may be the least worst option. If um, if we're running into 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 d- deep summer on this one, that then has the implications for what clubs do with season ticket money and and all that type of stuff. But you know that's that's probably number eleven on the list of the top ten things to sort out at the moment. So um, Bayern Munich, what you know, what someone from uh, I think it was Honus uh, from Bayern Munich came out and said that this is going to change football forever. Um, like his key points were that transfer, you know, you won't see a hundred million dollar pound transfer uh, for a very long time. What do you think the the most obvious impact of this is going to be? Um, like when we come out the other end, I hope there's a little bit of wage sanity comes into play. Although it's always driven by one club just trying to do a bit more, just trying to beat your your opponent so inevitably the pressures will come in there but I think this will be a an absolutely wake up call for people who are living month to month on their on their cash flow and and if you go through the, the Premier League and you see the types of owners we've got they're not expecting to be putting money in or 
bridging shortfalls. You know, we've now got financial investors coming coming into this. So this will be a, a shock. Maybe people say, oh, well, it's a once in a, in a century shock. But I think absolutely there will be changes. One really hopes that the days of, of Minola taking 40 million out of the pulpit transfer has gone as well. Let's hope that's not acceptable anymore. Um, but, um, you know, it won't, it won't take long before old habits come back in, I'm, I'm sure. Um, what do you what do you think about the um, the Premier League as a whole? Do you do you see a, a situation where the Premier League feels extremely exposed by what's happened to this? Do you do you think there's um, any chance that they try and you know entrench more power and, and bring it more inside? You know, the the NFL is a very strong organization in America. It runs pensions. It has a lot of power over. Uh, TV and it, you know, ha- has a lot of control over how it how it distributes. Do you see um Do you see a situation where the Premier League tries to shift its focus so it's not quite as at the mercy of TV companies as it is at the moment? I think what the Premier League lacks is is that NFL commissioner type person. So you could say Scooter Moore was doing it to a certain extent, but as I said before, it's it's an organisation where there are twenty shares owned by 20 individual clubs who have different different objectives. Um, whilst you need 14 of those clubs to, to vote for anything to go through, getting, dare I say, the big six to agree on something when everyone's got their own vetted interest is really quite, quite difficult for decision-making. Look at the fiasco there was about whether away match tickets should be capped at £20 or £30 or whether they should do different things. How long it took to get something like that through where if you had a super strong commissioner who who was mandated to say this is the right thing for us to do now, get on with it, then those decisions could be made really soon. So I, th- I think we're in a bit of a decision-making paralysis because to get 20 chairman or chief executive or whoever around the table, you've got Karen Brady on day one wanting the season null and void. But why does she want that? It's, it's all so obvious. But... And it's unfortunate that Scooter Moore's not there at the moment because, um, you know, whether you like him or not, he, he, he led it very firmly for however many years he did. So you think, um, do you think that there will be changes or do you think that, like, what Premier League club is going to give up power um, to, a, to a Roger Goodall-type um, character? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I mean... It, you maybe should explain exactly what, how the commissioner is more than a spokesperson is the genuinely the chief executive of how many NFL clubs is it? 32, something like that. Yeah. And how, how they have to follow what the commissioner is saying. Obviously he gets briefings and, and now he knows where they're going, but he ultimately has a say, doesn't he? And, and, and clearly not having that in the Premier League makes us look a little bit, leaden-footed at times yeah and even the mls um has a has a commissioner style structure as well and and they they retain quite a lot of control over decision making so it's an interesting one for the future um so moving on to um the next topic um the players so again lots of players uh, around uh, europe are, are doing the right thing um Lionel messi leading the charge at barcelona uh, their players deferring 70 percent of their salary 
um, as, as on the proviso that Barcelona, a club that I don't think treats um, some of their you know casual staff particularly well, as long as they keep them on retainer, which I thought was um, which I thought was great. Um, we've kind of touched on whether we think that Premier League players will um, take pay cuts. I mean, it seems inevitable if this continues to go on. Um, the the bigger confusion that seems to be gripping um, world football is what happens to those players who have contracts that uh, are up on June thirtieth. Like, how how do we? How do you think that they can deal with that from a legal perspective um, going forward? Because you could literally have players leaving um, midway through a season. Yeah. So I mean, the, ov- the obvious um, issue there is if you. If you complete the season in in September, you could have you know different different playing staff than you would have regularly in the season. So, in terms of the the thirtieth of, of June deadline, if we were close enough to seeing light at the end of the tunnel, you could have an arbitrary extension of, of one month, two month, or, or whatever. Um, I don't see the date being changed forever across all contracts because we're always going to be playing in this same sort of cycle. So probably what they need to do, and some clubs want players to go out of contract so they don't have the responsibility for them, but what do you then do if your player is going out of contract on the September and October and you're going to agree on, on, on similar terms? But there, there will be, I mean, there are discussions, as you know, with the... Um, uh, the PFA, the, Footballer, the Professional Footballers Association, to, to make sure that there is some sort of uh, unified position taken on this. And, and it's something else which is absolutely critical to the integrity of finishing off the season. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, this is another one of those scenarios where it's not black and white because uh, I, I very much doubt Arsenal want to give Meza Ozil a three-month extension to that monstrous deal that he's on. But at the same time, if uh, if we don't give a three month extension to Obama Yang, uh, he could be have nine months left to go on his deal, and and how much how much value do we lose in a space of such a short period of time on uh, like arguably our best player? And don't don't forget that we had this um, this new mantra that we we wouldn't get caught up in the the Sanchez, Ramsey, Ozil situation where we're basically held to ransom by people going to the last 12 months. So your, your point on over is, is exactly right there. Um, you know, we, he'll be pushing pushing 31 and you can see value you know, disintegrating before your eyes, really. Yeah, but particularly worrying when you can consider that the, the club... The, the, the club spent this summer's transfer budget on a uh, last season in a bid to get to the Champions League, and now uh, and, and now we can't even sell our major assets to make up the loss. So scary times ahead for uh, for Edu. Um, yeah, and the um, I mean the I mean to go back to the finances quickly, the run to the to Baku um, generated in in UEFA payment just under forty million sterling for us. Tottenham got a hundred million for getting the Champions League final. That is that is money that we can't afford not to have going into twenty twenty one season just to get back into the into the Europa League. So having having the players who can score the goals or, or whatever is is essential for that running. 
With, um, with regards to the the players, there's been uh, the, the, there's been the, the Premier League clubs that want to get the games back on track, but there's been quite a few rumblings, like you know, particularly in the Athletic, um, who have some journalists that are very close to to players, saying the players don't want it to start up again. Uh, who who in this situation, who has the power? Well, they're they're contracted employees, so you're under a you're under a contract to go, go and play football. I doubt the contracts specify that you're going to be playing on a on a on a Tuesday, Sunday, Wednesday, or whatever. Um, yes, you get your your mandatory leave, like people have vacation, and, and typically, if it's a non um, a non tournament summer, then then you know when you're going to be off. So, providing you've still got that that four week recovery period, you could possibly say they're in that. Now, although, obviously, they're still training of of some sort. Um, I I don't see the players in in a very strong position to say it's done let's go on holiday and and be done with it i i just don't think that they were brazen enough to pull that one off well before before we get on to the the next section just a quick question on the football in general um everybody's basically going to get a pre-season uh all of the players that were knackered after that heavy Christmas break are going to get some time to recuperate from injuries and knock some bruises. Do you, what do you, how do you see the, um, the, the relaunch of Arsenal's season going with that squad of players? Do you think that this is going to be good for us or are we going to just realize that these players weren't good enough to start with? Well, I think, I think we've mentioned integrity of, of the season. I, I can't imagine that, there can be a, a normal summer transfer window where people could rejig their squads for the completion of the season. Um, I think we know where our, our deficiencies are. Um, but what it does do, it, it enables players who have been done for the season, injured or whatever, to come back. So it's it's almost like starting starting a fresh season. So if you've got a your two main goal scorers, for instance, who have been out for a long time and we come back in June, then one imagines they're going to be available. And, and if you're pushing for a Champions League place, that gives you a, a massive advantage. I, I just don't think there will be um, there will be any, any significant changes or the ability to have that window before the season's completed. You might be able to sell someone on, um, but I don't think you can enhance what you've got by... Um, by having that window, and that that would probably have to be a European-wide um, um, objective. But do you think the 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 preseason with Arteta, and do you think that him furthering his ideas and his coaching, do you think that that's going to put us in better shape to qualify for top four? Yeah, I don't know about qualifying for the top four, but clearly every time Arteta speaks, he wants more time with the people. He, um, he really valued the 10 days or whatever they had in Dubai. And he clearly wants to get that intensity across, which some of them are getting and some of them are not. Um, and so on that basis, if there were to be a three or four week pre-season before coming back and there wouldn't be tour matches and there wouldn't be, you know, might be behind closed doors, but they're not going off to, to exotic places for sponsorship. This is about getting match fit. Clearly, that's going to be a benefit to Arsenal. Exciting times, exciting times. Um, so, moving on to the fans, and I, I don't know whether I've read too much about this, but 
I think that over the next few weeks, a lot of, a lot more people are going to find themselves out of jobs uh, and in dire economic circumstances um, on, on a personal level. Do you think that there is that there will be you know people asking for refunds on their season tickets if if this season doesn't finish? Do you think that that is a reasonable ask, or do you think that fans should do their civic duty to the club? No, hundred percent. No, those monies will would have to be refunded. And I think um, there's been a couple of announcements from Premier League clubs to say they'll be doing that already. And oh, right. so that, I mean, serious serious clubs. I'm not talking about. Well, I won't name them, but you know, it's a top six club. And for Arsenal, it's you know, gate receipts are best part of three million a match. It's not all season ticket, of course, but you think of. Of club level, you think of um, of what's in in the season tickets. You know that's that's a big big payment out. So I don't think there's any doubt if if the games do not go on, then those monies will be refunded for sure. If they if they go on and they're behind closed doors, then they'll have to be refunded. If on and they are in August and September, then I don't think there will be any refunds. So really. Yet another reason to put this season back on track because losing television money and taking the double hit of having to refund season tickets as well is really going to put a club like Arsenal in a in a financial predicament. Well, certainly when you talk about a, a club whose TV money, sorry, whose whose gate receipts are still a significant part of their their overall. Um, their overall revenue stream. So, you know, take take the extreme of of Bournemouth and what their gate receipts are for the season compared to Arsenal's. Now, I think it's I think it's eleven million to to hundred million. So, you know, it's the bigger clubs who will have hurt more. Once again, you need fourteen of the twenty Premier League clubs to vote for something. But if if the big six are saying this is what we need to do, then somehow they managed to get uh, get enough votes together to, to make it, um, to, to pass it through. Okay. Um, more of a, less of an economic question now, but what, how, how do you feel about uh, going back to Arsenal when, um, when, when the time comes? Do you think that you and your group of friends that go to the Arsenal game or, you know, you and your boy, um, like, do you think that there is going to be a hangover uh, with regards to big live events, it's interesting. One of the one of the big issues around safe standing is the proximity to um, to whoever you're standing next to, and 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 all those type of issues. But um, I, I think people will take personal personal decisions on these things. There will be guidelines from from the government as to gatherings and the size of them and everything else and I think just some people will say I tell you what I don't want to be in that situation I don't want to be in such a tight environment where there are you know, 60,000 at Arsenal and 75,000 at Man United so um, I don't think people should just say the game's on and expect it to be the same as it has been in the past people um, are treating it in, in very different ways. But I think you, you started the question with people might not have the ability to go to the games. And, and this might bring into, into higher perspective the, the overall cost of attending football. And I think a lot of, 
match attending fans starting to think and and this is this is brought about by the experience you got in the stadium around VAR which clearly is a very different experience than if you're watching somewhere else and I I, I start to wonder whether match going fans will begin to think hold on we're part of the spectacle which the TV companies want and everyone else wants and you've got to start treating us with a bit more um a bit more respect and that includes ticket pricing and we've seen a small gesture taken on um on on away ticket pricing which was dragged across the line kicking and screaming um but for instance arsenal still offer very limited concessions we get some match tickets through for for away games where there's four or five different ticket prices on on there for under 16 for student for over 65 for you know and and arsenal yes we've got a we've got a family stand but that's quite limited there's nothing for for over 65s if that's the correct age um so we need to be a bit more um understanding of of people's means and and what the new dimension will be so i think you're absolutely right Pete. there, there will be a change to it. whether people will still go back yeah, football's in in our culture. It's in our lifeblood. It will be there, but it it will won't just be turn the tap off, turn the tap back on. It will be a, a slow comeback, I'm sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, uh, your AST colleague um, Tim Payton, when I when I used to go to the meetings when I, I lived in London, I think he said um, he had an anecdote about Italian football and um, you know how that used to be the best in the world, um, but part of the demise of Italian football was that fans stopped going to the grounds and that made it uh, unappetizing for TV audiences because TV audiences want to feel like they're there. And um, the Premier League a few years ago had like 93% capacity. So it is going to be interesting if if crowds start to, um, to dwindle, whether there is a, a focus on the generation coming through and whether safe standing comes back in, cheaper seats... Um, uh, and we see a bit of a shift that, that if fans help prop up TV deals, maybe they should get some, uh, you know, some sort of subsidy or, or, or you know, compensation for, um, for for being match day fans. Because I, I, I think that the, not enough credit is given to the people that go week in, week out, and the expense that they pay out. I mean, I, I'm only going like five or six games a year now, but every time I come back, I'm staggered by how expensive things are, and they just keep on creeping up. And I, and I think if we if we do see a fundamental shift in people's match going ha- habits, then the the sort of work that the supporters trusts across the the Premier League do should hopefully have a bit more resonance with the with the, um, the people at the top to say we're trying to work with you. We want to get people in there. We want to make it as good as possible. And you've got to start listening to some of these things because it it's serious. And and I, I go back to that. 20s plenty and, and 30 pounds. That was a real hard sell to get over the line. One or two journalists supported it very well, but basically, you know, the, the supporter isn't particularly well represented in, in some of these discussions. So, so maybe there is a little glimmer that the, the organised supporters groups will be able to get some, um, um, some, some better understanding from the, uh, from the seniors at the league. Yeah, one can hope, one can hope. Um, so, and, and I think that, that this topic of conversation ties in where I wanted to go next, and, and that's the TV deal. 
so I think we, we've spoken a lot, you know, TV companies are going to want to get things back on to get their, you know, to get their max out, like TV companies make their revenue from advertising. And, you know, I work in advertising and it, companies that are doing really well at the moment don't need to turn on the media. Companies that are doing badly at the moment are turning off their media. Um, so it's, it's very tied in with, with that model. But I just wonder whether um, as we shift into um, into an era where the Premier League are going to have to give up more games, um, the flexibility of, of of TV is going to get is going to improve. Do you think that there's going to be a shift um, with the next TV deal to one of the fan companies, um, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google? Do you think that they're gonna those guys are going to be big disruptors when it comes to the Premier League? But the Premier League are absolutely waiting for that because they want uh, they want the competitive landscape to be as as fierce as possible, and and they 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 very skillfully package up the slots to to get as many people in as as possible. You could look at it two ways. I mean, Sky is is so dominant, um, but they are so reliant as well. So their whole business model is built around not just sports but let, let's say the Premier League and they it cost them so much to get a subscriber they were very quick on moving to this press pause on your subscription because what they didn't want people doing is going and cancelling their subscriptions and then you've got to reset up your direct debit and, and all that type of stuff so very cleverly they said two, two clicks to the button and you can pause your, your, your subscription in terms of the others, the others coming in, it, it's, it's bound to happen. It's absolutely. We've seen the um, the the football documentaries on on Amazon and and Netflix, and they will be getting decent um, decent coverage. I, I should imagine that the packages might get spread a bit more thinly. But then we've talked about the supporters, some of the the kickoff times, and the moving the fixtures and everything else also had a detrimental impact on the ability to get to the games and, and the atmosphere which is created. So Sky and, and BT are, have got, got the money in there at the moment. Sky won't be earning any, well, limited money at the moment because of so many people would have turned off their subscriptions because there's literally nothing to watch on there. And if you're doing 70, 80 pounds a month, why, why would you be doing that? Um, but the disruptors coming in is, has got to happen, and that's one of the reasons why there's the the cycles are relatively short. They're done on a, on a three three season basis um, to allow new channels to have opportunity to assess and come in. So I'm really confident that that someone significant will be coming in for a small package. They're not going to be the dominant person, but they let's say they they might be for package one, which will be the prime slots. So it, it's going to happen. Yes. And it, it it makes it makes absolute sense for these um, big organisations like Apple and uh, Amazon to to come in for it. They uh, they they're cash rich. They've got all of the pipe work to distribute it further um, around the world than um, th- than anybody else. And you know what better way to get somebody into a subscription model like Prime than bundling Premier League football. I mean, it's uh, it's an unbelievable opportunity, but then you wonder: do, do do we move a step closer to season tickets 
via TV. I know that the Premier League has, has resisted that, but is is that an inevitable future? Or do you think... Well, that I, 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 I mean, I, I think of Arsenal's 38 Premier League games last season, 27 were shown live. So we, we, we're not that far away from that. How you would do that across different bundles of, of providers, I'm not totally sure, but... I mean, that concept has existed in the States for 20, 30, 40 years. So it can't be, can't be too, too far removed. I also think this situation now is pushing people a lot into different distribution channels. There will be more people on Prime and Netflix than ever before. And I think it, it just drives people's behavior. So as you said, it's an opportunity for, for these people to see how many subscribers they can capture because the mainstream is doesn't have anything to show so when the next cycle comes up it will have given them time to really assess what the business model is and and how much they're willing to to punt on 20 games a season maybe is there um is there a reason why the premier league hasn't set up its own app like the you know premier league flicks where they just own the entirety of the distribution themselves, is is, is that just a, a you know hedging their bets with um, with people paying, or is that because you know you can't charge a premium? Like, what's the what, why don't they do it themselves? Because they haven't got someone like you working for them, I should imagine. <laughs> no, I think I think it's um, I, I think because they've seen such exponential growth in the. In, in the broadcast revenues beyond what they could have ever possibly imagined, whether that's the you know the the wizardry of um, of Scooter Moore or or just you know the international rights haven't really taken off yet. You look at some of the biggest markets in the in the world, and and what the Premier League gets from those is is relatively modest. So. You know, Maybe maybe the the domestic rights are, are capped out, or we we saw a small decrease in the last cycle. It's the international ones which really are going to um, are going to take off over in the you know five, ten, fifteen years on when you know as the global economy gets through this and more and more people get into the ability to to access and uh, and pay for the content they want. Why they haven't done it themselves, I don't think anyone is I'm sure to be looked at, but they need to see that real significant advantage over what they've got at the moment. And then it's also you know, a certain amount of work to do it. So would it, would it be the Premier League do it? And they and who, who's really controlling the Premier League? I go back to the uh, 20 clubs, one vote each. But really, is it is it 25% or is it you know the big clubs dominating? Right. And then so a final question that I wanted to ask you, like um, the AST's role has, you know, shifted over the years. What are, um, what are the priorities that, that, that you guys are focusing on um, at the moment? Like, is there a, is there a shift in priorities off the back of this? Is there, um, you know, what's the, what's the agenda with you? Well, the biggest, the biggest shift obviously was when the club was taken, taken private in, in August 2018. Um, so whilst the Supporters Trust did not accept the, the offer, um, we were compulsorily 
purchased like a number of other shareholders. So we did receive funds for the shares at the, at the offer price, but we didn't accept the offer. Um, so in terms of governance and plurality of ownership, I mean, that, that's, that's gone. We, we live in hope for some sort of regime change at, at some stage. We still try and hold the owner to account and, and the, the owner's son to account as much as possible. Disappointing to see that the um, the the Q and A had already been cancelled for the end of the season, even before we got into coronavirus, because of the um, the difficult circumstances around the one one last year. But in terms of shifting priorities, the, the things that we are most active on at the moment are it's safe standing, it's cheaper tickets, it's concessions, it's touting, it's atmosphere. They're all the traditional fan issues which we have been active on before but we had a we had a bigger role around the ownership and fan share and all those type of things so there has been a shift there we've got some excellent people leading on those those various topics um we had a had a session recently with um on, on var very quickly put out a, a poll yes i mean it's we, we need as many people to contribute to views as possible because certainly when things like VR, VAR are clearly not working, we need to get these things across them. And we think we're taken as a, as a relatively sensible fan group by, by the, new, um, the new executives at the club. So um, it, is, it is a shift. Um, um, the, the time of being able to buy shares back or have some limited offering um, is is not beyond the realms of possibility, but who knows when? Great. And how can people join the AST? Come to the website, ArsenalTrust.org. Um, minimal payment. It's uh, it's twenty pounds a year on a recurring payment, or or twenty five pounds as a one off. Um, the website, I'd like to say, is is fairly uh, interactive. There's a lot of stuff on there, a lot of archive stuff. Um, Meetings quite regularly. Uh, the the meetings are, are recorded now for those people who are not London based and can't get to them. And two or three decent events a year where we would get a speaker of of some renown, whether it be ex player or journalist or, or other influencers. So do sign up, please. Um, love to get to meet you at some stage or even by email to to find out more about what we're up to brilliant okay um thank you for um thank you for taking your time out of your busy day to to talk about that really enjoyed that um and i'll i'll, I'll say goodbye on that note look forward to seeing block 11 very soon Pete. yeah look forward to seeing you too thanks a lot nigel Jim, bye Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more, surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.